No Directions Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage is brought to you by Roll for Combat's new Fall of Plaguestone Pathfinder 2e actual play podcast. Featuring Stephen Glicker, Jason McDonald, Rob Tremarco, and No Directions own Lauren Sig and Vanessa Hoskins. Find it and other Pathfinder and Starfinder podcasts, interviews, and reviews at RollForCombat.com. No Direction presents our Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. We'd like to thank our seminar team, Lauren Sieg, James Ballad, Vanessa Hoskins, and me, Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param. We'd also like to thank Peyton Smith from Paizo for helping getting this produced. This content and more great seminar coverage, as well as Pathfinder and Starfinder content, is available at NoDirectionPodcast.com. Hi, and welcome to the Designing Planets panel. I'm Rob McCurry, the creative director for Starfinder, and I don't know which direction we're going to go in. No. Both at the same time. One, okay, two, two three. three. I'm Joe Pacini, the lead designer for Starfinder. And I'm Jason Keeley, and I'm not going to fall for that. <laughs> uh, also a developer on Starfinder, working primarily on the adventure paths. So we're here to talk about designing planets, and when we say designing planets, we mean designing planets and worlds and moons and galaxies and kind of settings overall, but kind of planets are the core of a big science fantasy setting like Starfinder. So Think of us as the, con- the engineers of Magrathea. Ooh. Ah, deep cut, maybe. Those, those fjords were really nice. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Who wants to... I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, it's cool. Um, it's also early-ish. Mm-hmm. So, designing planets. Um, we have lots of planets in Starfinder. This is, sounds really stupid now, but <laughs> there's a whole galaxy. Um, so we've, we've done, you know, we, we've uh, detailed some stuff on the Pact World's planets themselves. Um, in the Starfinder Adventure Path, we have the Codex of Worlds, and in every volume, there's a new little planet that you can populate your galaxy with. Um, and I guess we're just going to give some tips and stuff, so I should stop introductorying. And who wants to start with a tip on designing planets? Or uh, none of us are scientists. I'll say that. Yes. So we don't actually know how planets are formed, other than what <laughs> Google tells us. Um, <laughs> but we have a science fantasy setting, so we can kind of woo, hand wave some stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think I think uh, the first thing you want to start off if you want to design your own plan, let's say you're writing a codex of worlds for whatever reason, and um, I think you want to start off with a hook, maybe two, but no more than that, uh, and uh, just sort of think about that. What is this planet? Is it a you know a planet of sentient trees? Is it a weird donut world? Is it a completely flat world where gravity goes backwards or something like that? Uh, and that from there you can just sort of branch off and and then start thinking about whether or not you want to. Deal with the uh, the physics, right, of it, or is this more? Since we have a science, you know, fantasy world, is this more going to be because of magic? Uh, so you don't have to necessarily worry about oh, is the you know does uh, does g equals m over r squared? Um, if it's a weird donut world with where gravity is weird, you don't need to worry about that. Yeah. What is the g equals? That's the sort of m over r squared. That is the formula that we generally try to use to make sure that the it, uh, the gravity of a planet kind of matches its size and uh, mass, um, and that the that is uh, g is the gravity, uh, m is mass, and r is radius squared. So what we do when we print a uh, uh, codex of worlds, sort of like um, little planet stat block, basically, you know, we say. Uh, in relation to a Galarian slash Earth-sized world, times one, times one and a half, times two, for all three of those things. Uh, and one of the things that at least I do when I develop something, if it looks like it's not too, uh, it's not a woohoo wahoo planet, I'll make sure that those numbers add up. And you can just use those time, like those 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 uh, placements. You don't have to figure out the exact radius of Earth and then multiply that times two to and that to do the math. You can just use the times two. So if it were a you know. Let's say a one, mass of one uh, size sclerian, but it's a radius of two. Uh, you multiply that four, one fourth gravity there will be 0.25. Easy as math. The numbers in front of your face. Yes, I definitely. Earth is one that. is basically so yeah. it's all it's all based on that. And the, another easy way to do that, if you want to get those details down, which we have done, is you just look at existing planets in our solar system. So in the packed worlds, there is a lot of analogs between the packed worlds and. Uh, our solar system, so Akaton, shockingly has the exact same gravity and mass and radius as Mars, and Castrophel is exactly the same as Venus. So we know that scientifically works because it seems to work in our solar system. So that's kind of the, some of the, the as scientific as we yes, get usually with, with our planets. Um, that's a lot of physical characteristics. There's also how long a day and a year is. Um, you can play with that to get weird results. We have a packed world that doesn't... Uh, 
rotate relative to the sun, so one side is always hot and exposed to the sun, and the other is dark. Um, and then there's a ring of habitableness in the middle. We've talked a lot about physical characteristics. Uh, I think the most, I mean, I enjoy that too, but the most fun for me is uh, who lives there, what's going on, what's weird about it, um, which can be one of the hooks or not. You know, the physical mm -hmm. nature of the world can be a hook, certainly. But if you just have a terrestrial planet, you know, with a few continents and some oceans of some variety, it might not be water, it could be something else. Uh, but the societies that live there, like what, how long have they been there? Uh, there's so many things to cover. Yeah, uh, that's just why I guess why you're here yeah. <laughs> and why we're here. Uh, but a few things uh, I like to think about are what's the level in a sci science fantasy setting, especially what what is the science and what is the fantasy? How much technology is there? What kind of technology is there? Is it super focused? Is it very steampunk? Is it uh, like you know a few years from from present day Earth kind of technology? Uh, is it Stone Age stuff? And then same with magic, you know, is it high, are people used to seeing spellcasters walk down the street and, and uh, uh, or have they never seen a spell cast in their life and, and your mending is going to freak them out and <laughs> have them chasing you off the planet or even your starship, going back to technology. And there's, there's a few other things, but I don't want to keep babbling. <laughs> well, of course, on a, on a whole planet, you could obviously have all of these things or a huge mixture of these things because there's different countries and everything, but... One thing that's, can, that's difficult about that when you're playing with a setting as vast as, as Starfinder is if you drill down into super detail, I mean, you could spend forever detailing every nation state and every enclave on a given planet and everything. And then if your players go visit a spaceport, buy some gear and then leave, everything you've done is just like, well, what's the point? So it's kind of thinking in terms about the scope of what you want your setting. If you know you want to set your game or an adventure on a single planet, that's worth detailing it a bit more. If it's really just a stopover or, or a story element, you don't need to go into that. You can have kind of one hook for the whole planet and you know maybe um, think about creating one settlement or one nation that might be the place where your player, where the characters visit and just kind of you know maybe jot down a few ideas for the rest of the world if you need to add some extra detail, but you don't necessarily need to do everything. That's kind of what that's kind of what we do in in our, in our stuff. I mean, the Codex of Worlds are one page yeah. entries, so that's really just a big overview of a planet. Um, in our Pact Worlds book, we go into a bit more detail, but it's still we're talking about okay. Here's the overall planet. Here's the overall political situation. Here's a few notable locations, adventure sites, cities, nations. But we can't cover everything because you could do you know entire books about one single planet. Or yeah, and uh, what we well might end up doing is drilling down like what we did with uh we have verses in the past worlds and then we kind of eventually drilled down onto the their capital city of kuvakari and we had a whole article on that in uh, one of the adventure paths so you can always get like more focused on a thing in and like rob said if you want to if you're doing this for yourself feel free to you know and and you have all the time in the world feel free to you know write up an entire galaxy of planets uh but if you're only writing 500 words for one of us then you know we want you to be we want the overview so that people can take it and uh, add their own details if they need Planets are enormous, right? I mean, yes. Let's state the obvious multiple times. Um, I mean, I've never but, seen one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so me either. Who knows? Who knows how big <laughs> but, they are? But uh, I, I think it's a fair temptation to say, like, this is the jungle world. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, if you're looking for someone on this planet, and you come here with your ship, you're going to happen to land within a few miles of them or something, uh, and that's fine. Uh, one thing I like to do is think about, you know, on the jungle wor jungle worlds. Like maybe there's one really big industrial city, like something that's really antithetical to the kind of theme of that world, and how does that interact with the rest of the environment and the rest of the creatures there? Um, or if it's you know an evil, hellacious planet, uh, you know populated by devils, but there's some like bastion of heaven in there, or trying to make an, their way up from beneath the earth and kind of a flip. I don't know. I'm just yeah, <laughs> I think I'm talking. Good but, riffing. But yeah, just. And that's what I like to do is we, we just we sit near each other <laughs> and we'll often just throw ideas back and forth, so just talking with people. And, and also conflict, uh, ideas that don't seem to work well together are a great source for uh, just, we're, we're good at solving problems and, and retconning things, like we as human beings, I mean, uh, and justifying things that don't make any sense. So uh, that can be really helpful in, in world building, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it'll spark your imagination if you just mm -hmm. literally like maybe spin a dial or uh, roll, roll a die and pick <laughs> two things. I don't know why I picked dial because we're all role playing gamers and we all have dials, right? In our pockets right now. The game of life. The, it's, yeah. our, it's on our, it's on well, our analog do, starship. Yeah. With dials, dials and switches. Um, 
You roll a couple dice or something and, you know, maybe make a chart and then roll a couple dice on it and uh, pick two things and then just jam them together. And then there you go. You've got a world that probably could get a dozen plot hooks out of that. Okay, can we just talk about this now? Yes, please. Okay. So, uh, a Starfinder accessory coming out at the end of this year that I'm like trying. Sorry, I said that I would wait until you told me to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're coming out with an accessory called the Deck of Many Worlds that's going to be uh, 100 world cards that you can use to generate a bunch of uh, worlds of your own. When and is that so, when's that coming out? Great question. November or December? <laughs> Probably December of okay, this year. Yeah. yeah. And I brought Real rough prototypes that should be far enough away that you can't be unsold on them based on my <laughs> terrible drawings. <laughs> but but uh, Sarah Robinson and Sonia Morris, are ex some of our excellent art folks, are working right now. I think uh, Sonia's back home in Seattle making it pretty and <laughs> look great. Uh, but the basic premise is that on the front you'll have art of the world, and that can be like we were talking about Earth-like planets or maybe a... there might be a donut world in there and a flat one, but a lot of uh, gas giants and stuff you're you might actually find in space. Uh, and then some physical characteristics like the gravity, the atmosphere, uh, some biomes that you might find there. Uh, all suggestions, right, for what, what uh, just to spark your ideas. Uh, and then on the back is where things get kind of bonkers because on the, the bottom here, you probably can't see, but there are six categories, six attributes for the world that are gonna be like technology, magic, uh, alignments, which I, I'll admit that I'm not the biggest fan of alignment uh, when it gets used to like uh, cram people into a box like you're lawful neutral and that means you do exactly this all the time but I found it really helpful for world generation uh, of course the whole planet isn't going to be chaotic good but if that's kind of like you know thinking of you're approaching a planet with your starship like how do they treat you how, do, how does the first ship greet you that kind of thing um, I think it's helpful for that so on the back in the middle here there's this bar that lines up with the, the attributes and they have up arrows and down arrows and flat arrows. And that will tell you, for example, if there's an up arrow under the technology, that tells you this is a high-tech world. And there might be a low a down arrow under magic, and that tells you it's a low magic world. And all of these are arranged in a unique order. So any card back with any card front will generate a different set of, uh, of attributes like that. Um, we also have a hook on the card back. So you'll want to draw two of these, and then you'll have two totally different hooks that uh, combine in different ways. Uh, to give you yet more ideas. And then finally, there are some numbers here that are kind of like 2D6, um, and they can tell you how many creatures live on the world, which we have in the upper corner here. Something that's really exciting is uh, as of Alien Archive 3, which comes out this month, uh, we'll have more than 100 playable species in Starfinder, <laughs> like from our APs and organized play and our hardcovers. And, and those are all, uh, oh, they will be soon, but many of them are already on our system resource document. Uh, sfrd.info I want to say uh, so you know just having an image of who might live there and then there's also on the other side threat species which this I want you to see the art for it's like a cool squiggly alien that we don't have yet so I'm just gonna put that out we should probably oh, yeah let's get one of that this. it doesn't look like any IP infringing uh, <laughs> no it doesn't at all. I, think, I think Sarah will probably order new art for that anyway so I'm sorry Joe <laughs> whatever <laughs> Uh, and these are all existing monsters too. That and some of them might be sapient. Uh, the the other point being for these is that these are the creatures on the planet that are likely to have or worlds because it might be a space station uh, that are likely to have societies and civilizations and talk to you rather than try to kill you. So uh, with a hundred cards and all that crap I just talked about, that's like millions of possible combinations. So I'm super excited about it. I've been talking to everyone at the office like nonstop. <laughs> My poor roommate is just like, please, like, <laughs> December, let's get this out there. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to talk about that more if anyone has any questions. But that's kind of, it's been framing my thinking about creating worlds for a long time. Like we were talking about magic and tech and the physical characteristics and mm -hmm. sort of uh, conflict and how that can give you ideas. Um, yeah. We were really excited when Joe brought the idea up too because, you know, it's uh, Joe and Jason, I think, were the ones you both, I don't remember. No, it was mostly just Joe. Was it? Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> I think so. I don't know. Well, whichever, but it was just remember. like, because we, we have this whole galaxy, you know, and it's like you want to do it for a game if you just want to create it where maybe your players decide to go like, let's just punch the button and go into the drift and come out somewhere because <laughs> they're crazy like that. You can then use this kind of thing to create whatever random world they do. and. I'm glad you mentioned the fact about that it has the alien species because we didn't really talk about that for a world. Like we talked about the physical characteristics, but it's also like who lives on a planet is probably the most important thing, you know, well, one of the most important things. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, are they a sapient species or is it all just a bunch of, you know, creatures that don't have any intelligence or civilization? 
that makes for very different worlds. Um, or if they're shared by, you know, multiple sapient species, how does that, again, with the conflict, how does that change up the world? Or is it, you know, a single species that inhabits this world or multiple worlds, you know, to have a whole huge interplanetary civilization? Those are the kind of things that can, yeah. there's so many different little variables and I think you were talking about the dials and yes. stuff. Yeah, that you can adjust to just make all new planets and these cards will help that with that quite a bit. Yeah, going back to, to that a little bit, you know, with the three, with just the physical characteristics and the two hooks that kind of interact, that's like 900,000 combinations. And once you add the species in, it, it's like millions and billions. Uh, and different species on the same like planet with the same hooks kind of makes a big difference to me like if you take earth right boring old earth and you replace all the humans with contemplatives like giant floating brains <laughs> that could fly around and i don't know all our zoo animals with like pterodactyl sized needle <laughs> needle mouth sorry uh room uh needle faced <laughs> needle faced pterodactyls yes that are trying to suck the brains out of it that kind of changes the tenor of like what oh, it would yeah. be like to be here on earth yeah, definitely know? definitely so i think it'd be pretty close Maybe in some yeah. respects. I can just see all the <laughs> contemplatives like cramming into a subway. Yeah. <laughs> One contemplative with white gloves just pushing everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Tiny white gloves. Um, and indeed, even if like you're not uh, currently running a game or thinking about making your own setting, these cards could also be good for like writing prompts. If you yourself mm -hmm. are like want to write, you just could, like throw these things together and then go like, oh, look, this is, this is a this is a you know a, a space station where there's a, a wormhole nearby, and then there's a religious faction that wants to take over the wormhole. Uh, don't use that idea because that was a TV <laughs> show. <Space> but <laughs> uh, you got it. You solved my riddle. Poof, I'm gone. Um, but you know, but you know, if you put those together, and maybe you can you know write up some some of your own stuff there, there's advice in the there, it's a 110 card deck so 10 of the cards show you how to use the deck and give you ideas for other things like generating settlements or even uh, non-player characters or, or your own player character right because if you oh, if yeah. you really want to go wild you could draw cards to see what your character is like yeah, yeah. Uh, and you can also generate your home world right if you want to be an interesting character from outside like the core setting of Starfinder or if you had in a homebrew setting it would be great for that one thing we don't have on here, right? It doesn't say whether that's in the near space or the vast, or right. That's sort of up to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, depending on what you want, where you want it to be. In case you're not familiar, do you want to real quick talk about the pack world's near space and the vast? Yeah. So the, the, if you're, how many people here have played Starfinder? Or pretty okay. Everyone's. That's some people good. haven't. So it's so our our core setting is it's set in a galaxy, but obviously as we mentioned, a galaxy is a huge place. So we've kind of brought in the focus, and the the center of our setting is the packed worlds, and this is the a uh, solar system that used to contain Galarian, for those of you familiar with Pathfinder, um, but Galarian has disappeared. It's all safe, everybody, all the gods say, but no one will say what happened to it. But Galarian is somewhere else, um, and in its place is a, is a space station called Absalom Station. So if you're familiar with the Pathfinder book, Distant Worlds, that describe that solar system, it is that solar system just catapulted forward into the future. So that's kind of the core of our setting. Um, and But then of course it's a big galaxy. And so we have kind of, we, I kind of view it as like three concentric circles of the sort of, as you go farther and farther out. So you have the one solar system of the packed worlds and then there's near space and the vast. And that is, those are basically, it's not a, it's not a, um, measure of physical distance it's a measure of how easy they are to get to using drift beacons which is how you travel through the hyperspace dimension called the drift so planets or systems that have a higher density of drift beacons are easier to get to so they're considered part of near space and the places that really don't have a whole lot of drift beacons are the vast and you might end up having like a a system in the vast could be only a couple of light years from the packed worlds but just because there's no drift beacons um it's actually much harder, much harder to get to. Mm -hmm. And I guess the only other thing is the Absalom station has the star stone in the center of it that sort of powers it. And that also acts as a super powerful drift beacon. So anywhere in the galaxy, you can always get back to Absalom station by homing in on the star stone. It only takes like 26 days. Yep. So that's kind of our main thing. So that's kind of one thing we also decide too is where we want to put a different, if we're going to create a world, you know, we're not going to put it in the packed worlds because that is literally just a single solar system. It's weird to add a new planet suddenly, <laughs> um, and there's already like eleven there. So, yeah, so um, many. It's like, yeah. and, and a, space planets, and a colony ship, ship and the sun. Yeah. People live in the sun. Yeah, and, you know, uh, as you do. <laughs> um, so you, we we kind of think about that, and then it's interesting because, of course, you don't usually just have a planet by itself. So. It can be good if you want to create like a whole new system besides the planet. Think about the solar system that this planet is in and what are the different types of planets. Um, the packed worlds is, I would say, highly inhabited because virtually every planet 
think every every planet inhabited. Yeah, some of the moons something. may not be, mm-hmm. but um, so. But obviously, you could have like you know planets that don't have as as many people on it, or or that kind of stuff. And you know maybe there's like I said, an interplanetary civilization that's conquered several planets. Um, and these these cards have the two d six I mentioned. Mm-hmm. You uh, to give you advice that if you want to generate a whole system, you can just draw a card, and this would be, for example, seven. There's seven worlds in that system, yeah. and then you draw seven of these cards, and then go ham if you want. It's, <laughs> I mean, I will be. Just, just full on, have a full like conspiracy wall style thing yes, of cards exactly. everywhere, yep. and then you tie Red yarn between yeah, them. Exactly. And... <laughs> oh, I will be doing that. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I'll probably no. go into your cube a little no. bit, so just be ready. What have I done? <laughs> what else? Yeah, what else? We... Another thing I think would be inspiration, you know, because mm-hmm. there's, if you have whole planets and galaxies and everything is like, well, how do I know what, what to choose? You know, it's like, where can you look for inspiration? So obviously with like the deck of many worlds, you can just piece together all sorts of things. But, you know, space stations near wormholes and, and stuff. I mean, you can get inspiration from anywhere. And we're mm-hmm. certainly inspired by science fiction. We don't, we try not to copy things directly because mm-hmm. that's bad. But <laughs> for at least published things in your home game, oh, if yeah. you want to put a Cardassian yeah. space station next to a wormhole. I never totally said Cardassian. <laughs> I didn't either. Um, and you can just rename stuff, right? Uh, especially if your players watch the same media as you do. Just change a couple details and they'll have no idea. <laughs> Maybe. And we in Starfinder Core Rulebook, uh, people have been coming up to the booth and talking about Starfinder. And I show them the inspirational media we have in the back of the Core Rulebook. It's like two pages of just film and television and literature and comics and other RPGs, like this huge list that I'm still working through myself, uh, just getting inspired by a whole range of awesome sci-fi fantasy stuff. <laughs> this is a quick funny story. Uh, some Your players might recognize it because I, I took a, a mission from Red Dead Redemption 2 and put <laughs> it in on Absom Station and changed all the creatures and all that. And one of my players that day was like, you stole that from Red Dead Redemption. I was like, ah, yes. <laughs> Uh, but, but they, they played along, good, right? What? Like, then they feel good. They're yeah, like, oh, yeah, I know true, that. True. Everyone like, yeah, thought, sure. oh, it was fun, it was fun. It's still fun. And they, and they knew what, how, where it was, you know, the trick <laughs> at the end was like, oh, you know, it was basically like this, this uh, the guy who has like three, uh, this traveling zoo and three of the crazy creatures are missing and the, the Tashtari laser wolf is just an actual dog with a flashlight strapped to his chest. <laughs> but the last thing is a real monster, right? And they're like, you know. Ah, real monsters. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, ah, real monsters. <laughs> Are there any inspirations that you oh, guys yeah. had that, like, in terms of designing worlds and stuff that you've drawn on? Ooh, put you on the spot. Oh, yeah. Put me on the spot. <laughs> um, as, uh, what, uh, in terms of inspirations for Starfinder and uh, possibly the planets, too, uh, I like Farscape a lot, and uh, I like to have the idea of lots of weird creatures and weird civilizations and things that, you know, you go to this planet and it's a weird work camp that everyone's on drugs and, and, and hippie loving it, and, but yet they work it every day. And they, and they party like every night is Friday, but the next day they go to work again. Um, and, you know, stuff like that is, is I think, uh, really good. For me, weirdly, Guardians of the Galaxy. There's not a lot mm. of worlds that I'm familiar with in that setting, but some of like giant skulls, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. and really just like the interaction of many different kinds of creatures. Uh, I always think of that on worlds, and that's like really interesting to me. Is how radically different societies get along or don't, mm-hmm. or do and don't. <laughs> I think yeah. that's fun. Yeah, Star Wars is a good example of the sort of one-word descriptor for a planet because Tatooine is the desert planet and Coruscant is the city planet, you know, and so that can be a good thing. I'm also really interested in, like, the political things when you start to expand out to this scale, so I'm a huge fan of the Expanse series, and that, you know, all takes place in a single solar system, but there's all these political things between Earth and Mars and the outer planets, and again, you can look at something like Star Wars, too, and just see these sort of big political things, and that again brings in that conflict those hooks to tell stories so you can kind of like the level of detail that you want to put into it is really up to you and what how much you feel that you know like if you're running a game for for people how much detail they're going to interact with um i usually try to sorry i'm just thinking of star wars and how someone decided to taste the dirt <laughs> does anyone know what I'm about? What? No. yeah they did. salt <laughs> yeah just oh. like the rebel base that they're ready to fight for their lives and one guy's just like well this planet I haven't been on let me taste the dirt it's like <laughs> these mm, weird salt. crystals <laughs> it's like maybe that's a planet that compels you to taste all of it I don't know but, hmm, sorry anyway no, go on would, please would, I would want to make a character that tastes the yes. dirt on every planet he goes that's to that's the fantries mm. that roll around right because they taste through their no their they don't taste balls. through their, okay. their rollerballs right, um, <laughs> so what were you saying Rob? Um, I, I totally <laughs> forgot now it's just uh, oh no it's sort of about I'm trying to think of how to how to express it because I I try to look 
at like what's the level of detail that that I need for my game. So I I, I kind of talked about this before, but it's like if I know they're going the PCs are going to a spaceport and that's the primary place they're going on this planet, that's where I want to put the most detail in and then just sort of build the structure of the planet and society around that. And if I know that they're never going to go somewhere else on that planet, I don't need to. Um, and it's the same thing. If they're not going to go to other planets in that solar system, I don't need anything but the briefest ideas. Like, oh, there's seven planets in this solar system and the sun is red um, or yellow, you know, whatever. And it's kind of just just getting a sense of how much detail you need for your game and how much detail you want to create. Yeah, and another thing about creating worlds like with this or any other system you have for making that kind of thing uh, is, you know, is is the whole point of your campaign or adventure that world, like, and interacting with it? Or is it the backdrop for something else? Like, are they there just to get a MacGuffin and then head somewhere else? Or are they there because their ship crashed there because they need to refuel or meet one person and then take off? Like, that totally changes how much detail you might want to put into it and, and how... It even it affects your players. The other thing is, uh, and I've always done this because I'm a pretty lazy GM, uh, is use my players, a game master, use my players to come up with ideas. And it, it, the collaborative story, if you have a group, that's why I was talking about bouncing ideas off of each other. Mm -hmm. But if you're literally all around the table telling a shared story together, you might as well ask your players, like, well, what do you see? Or like, why, why is it that? Uh, that person just tasted the ground, you know? Like, <laughs> and they might have a, a great idea, and and it just. There's so much buy-in that way. Everybody's invested in the same in the same world together. One of my favorite things to do. Not just because I'm lazy, but <laughs> <laughs> but partially. All right, we can open it up to questions now. If anybody has anything, we're happy to. If you want like more specific tips or something else, looks like we may have something from Twitch here. All right. Or not? No, turn the microphone off. <laughs> Any questions from anyone? you guys have a preferred or favorite biome to work in? Do you like working on a planet that's a lot of desert, one that's mostly ice, all city? Do you, do you have one you like working in best that you think is more creative to work with? For me, jungle is, is I'm like a little exhausted of jungle, uh, but there's just, you know, so many possibilities because everyone's used to the idea that there's a lot of different kinds of life there, including plant life, but you can also have things that shouldn't be in a jungle there, and that is just more interesting because it shouldn't be there. Uh, that's, if I had to pick a biome, it would be that, or urban. I, obviously, I really like urban in a science fantasy setting. I really like jungle, too, because I've read like a lot of the old pulp sci-fi where it's the jungles and swamps of Venus and everything, and that was just always really cool that I thought, and it was like a whole planet like that, but and weirdly also the urban thing, too, but particularly like on a space station. Like mm -hmm. Absalom Station is... A space station, I think its population is about what New York has. Um, but it's just like you can put in so many different things, just like in any other kind of city, except you're in a space station. So it kind of adds, you know, and even with Absalom Station, there's this armada of ships outside. It's almost like a whole extra city in orbit around the station that you can do anything with. And so... And it's three-dimensional, too, and, which is really cool. Yeah, exactly. So you've got, like, the spike where all, like, it's kind of like... The social strata goes down the same way that is. That's a, and but there's also like monsters and stuff that have just gotten lost down there. So that's a really cool thing for me. Um, I'll have to third urban a bit, but especially stuff that's uh, cities that are maybe like built on older cities. Mm -hmm. So you can also kind of have a little bit of verticality, but down have those you know dungeony sewers and stuff like that. Like the same way like uh, you know Seattle's kind of built on older Seattle's, or London is kind of built on older versions of London. Um, and uh, uh, kind of, I like enjoy like a, a wasteland, a good Mad Max, Marsy kind of wasteland. You know, there's not much there, but you can kind of have fun, like uh, uh, settlements built out of junk and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just curious when you guys uh, are coming up with ideas for worlds for your campaigns, not just um, you know a, a, a quick set of. Um, uh, you know, worlds that maybe you could generate for a solar system, whatever. But when you're actually trying to keep track of all the politics, all the characters, all the races, all the terrain, the gravity, uh, you know, there's a lot of like uh, tools of the trade to do those sorts of things to to sort of organize them and keep track of all that stuff, right? Things like World Anvil, Scrivener, these kinds of mm -hmm. tools. What do you guys use? I'm just really curious. What are the tools of your craft? Piles of books on our desk <laughs> and each other's brains. <laughs> a lot of ways, yes. And, and one way we set ourselves up for success that way is by starting smaller, right? Like the core rulebook has 
small, I always forget the page count exactly, but we talked about all of the Pact Worlds, mm -hmm. and then we had a book called The Pact Worlds, where we talked more about all the Pact Worlds, and detailed some of the settlements there and some of the moons a little bit more. And then we do Alien Archives where we talk about some of the creatures that we name dropped two or three books back and expand on them. And, and so gradually building that way and then just being there and knowing where things kind of came from organically and, and having written a lot of it ourselves and knowing the people who did. And uh, yeah, we, we could sure use a wiki. <laughs> the system reference document's really handy uh, that we have. That there I is a Starfinder wiki. It's not... It's not yes. done by it's done by volunteers. An internal wiki, yes, yeah, so that we exactly. can have all our secrets in exactly. there. Like people don't know this, but <laughs> a lot of our stuff is is written by freelancers, and so you know we we develop that, but we we assign like, hey, we need this new planet, and we'll give them varying levels of uh, guidance on you know exactly if we need something super specific, we'll be a lot more detailed. Or it's like we just need a new planet, do something cool, and so then we don't actually have to worry about the tools <laughs> to make that kind of thing. We just make sure that it's still cool and fits into the overall setting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, like when we do the freelancers give someone a city and a planet that we've already detailed, we need to give them more wheel. We'll give them the tools. We'll figure out, our, you know, we'll write an outline and be like, these are the things you need to read first to make it match up. So, uh, in a lot of ways, Control F is our biggest friend. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we open up PDFs and just sort of search for make sure to. Uh, Keywords and whatnot, um, and then I, I, you know, we all have whiteboards on our desks too, and I'm, I'm constantly writing, jotting notes on there to remember something later on. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a chaotic mess in a lot pretty, of ways. Pretty low tech and tools, actually, yeah. incredibly organized, <laughs> and like well, our, so, our, hold our, on, yeah. world Android anvil. Anvil. <laughs> <laughs> write that down. Um, so as far as designing planets, um, you mentioned like the gravity of Earth and all mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Is there anything like any types of uh, space phenomena that you tend to avoid near planets, like, for instance, wormholes or all that sort of stuff. Not necessarily anything that's already been done before, but more just, like, hazards that would that could, like, threaten planets in space and stuff like that. We haven't done much with that, I don't think, unless... Yeah, we, we, we use what we need to do for the story that we want to tell, basically. We, but we're not going to necessarily uh, populate... You don't want a bunch of hazards near a planet that's populated by a bunch of people because all those those hazards will kill those people, right? So like want, all of the people. All like of the people. The scale yes. is so big exactly. that it's... Uh, so you're not, like, unless you want the planet to be a bunch of meteors hitting it all the time, and then that informs the setting, essentially. Uh, but you did that black hole, that thing near a yes, black hole. right, exactly. That was early on, yeah. There was a, it, was a, it was a planet that was sort of near a black hole, and they were studying it, and they realized they were going to get sucked in, so half the planet was like, what we'll do, here was what we'll do. We'll build a bunch of big jet engine on our on our planet and shoot ourselves into the black hole early and get the science and then half of them was like what the heck no and so they went off and they're on a, they're on a moon base as the, as the, as their comrades have jetted into the black hole um See, i think that's what's interesting about that right is yeah. that a lot of not a lot but there are several hooks in here one is like there's constantly uh in, in the card thing there's constantly bombardment from some kind of natural phenomenon or or there's a, a gravitational anomaly in the core of the planet threatened you can consume it. And one of the other things you can do that the deck talks about is set these things in the past or the present or the future. So it could be that there was a meteor that was going to end all life on the planet, but now there's not. Like, how does that change the society? Probably pretty drastically if everyone thought they were going to die and then they woke up like, oh, it, it missed us. Uh, well, this is awkward. <laughs> I guess I owe you that money after all. Uh, or, or if they just found out about it uh, and they were this utopian world and it's like, oh no, this is all good. You know, it's just radically different. So just using it like a tool and, and mm -hmm. like on that planet you just described, like different people will react differently and yeah. it creates a lot of stories. Next question. Uh, so you kind of just answered it by talking about uh, the past, present, or future, but one of the big themes in uh, more towards science fiction that seem really cool with this is actually completely uninhabited space and going, venturing forth for the fetch quests or whatever into the unknown, kind of like interstellar is what's going through my mind right mm -hmm. now. So uh, how would you recommend like either using the deck or not using the deck for generating like completely unpopulated hostile environments? Well, in terms of this deck, you can. There's a lot of advice and just do whatever you want. <laughs> so you can ignore if you want an unpopulated world. You can you can just ignore the species. You know, just not put any species on it. Um, and think of, you can still think about what what do the hooks mean in that in that case. And they're not all to do with uh, the creatures necessarily that live there. Um, it could be phenomenon or, or some other thing like it phases in and out of the ethereal plane or something like that. So. It, you know, it's kind of the rule of RPGs is do whatever you think is cool and don't worry about like <laughs> the 
Yeah. And it's kind of like, especially for the weirdness factor, because like this is primarily designed to create planets. Um, but you know, like I was just looking at this little thing, we've got a gas giant with rings, and it's like, well, what if there was just rings and no gas giant mm -hmm. in, in the middle of them or something, you know? And it's, it's like, look for those little bits and then put them together, I think, is, can make the kind of really weird, non-standard stuff. It's, it's a little easier and, and a lot more fun to think of the weird thing first mm -hmm. and then figure out why that might be happening scientifically or magically or something like that. You know? And I actually asked uh, for some of the art on this, I asked, can you draw us like an Earth-like planet, like kind of normal looking, but then one really weird feature? And I didn't give any other guidance than that, and we got some really cool stuff that yeah. looks like it could be a bunch of different things going on that you can just make up. Yeah, so it's exciting. Cool. So uh, we have a question from Twitch chat from user Shadzar. What other differences that you encounter when you design man-made bodies like a Death Star versus a natural planet? Well, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, again, you sort of want to think a little, a little bit scientifically, like a big old Dyson sphere it has to be, you know, X large to actually fit uh, people in, uh, uh, on the inside of it, right? Um, it's reminding me that the, uh, the, uh, the, the gentleman who the Dyson Sphere is named after, um, I think, hates it. Um, he's like, that's the dumbest idea that I had. I had like 18 ideas, and you latched onto the Dyson Sphere. Put my name on something else. You got vacuums um, and stuff. Right? That's a different, different guy. Um, I was doing some research on that, and that's when I found out. And I was like, oh, that's pretty funny. Um, uh, so, um, I mean, it, 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 space stations, uh, you know, or man, uh, you know, are. are constructed things um, and you can kind of do a little bit whatever you want because you're in space and there's no gravity so you can kind of jam anything you want to well you can do artificial gravity you don't have to worry about uh, yeah and then you get out like when you're over r squared because yeah, exactly it's like woo artificial gravity but um, when you're putting it like it, when you put something together up in space you can lift you know you can move gigantic things right you don't have to necessarily build it brick tiny brick 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 did you just talk about the expanse and how they build skyscraper like ships? Cause no, I didn't, but that's a good thing. I learned that from you. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a cool idea that, you know, since the ships are constructed in space and never land on planets, they don't need to make sense like as something that would exist in gravity yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, the other thing but between like a constructed environment and a natural one is just intentionality. Like who built it? Why? How long ago? Are they still there? Is it different people now? Um, and then with a natural environment, how does the geography and the you know, the physical characteristics change how creatures interact. Like, have they never met each other? Because there's just this impossibly tall mountain range in between just all the normal stuff we know from real life. Um, yeah. Populations is also something to think about there because obviously a planet can hold millions or billions of people and you don't really have to think that up. But when you're talking about a constructed thing like a space station, it's like, well, how many people would actually fit on here? And I know when we were doing Absalom Station, because the first adventure we published was incident at Absalom Stations, we had to do a whole big article in the Adventure Path about that, and we was like, well, how many people would this hold? And it's like, well, if we kind of take New York and stretch it out and pack people in really closely, you know, but it's it's still, it clearly couldn't hold as many people as a whole planet will, and so that's, that's the kind of thing, you're obviously going to have a much smaller population. I mean, a Death Star, I don't know how many people a Death Star would hold, but it's... Someone does. Uh, someone does, yeah. <laughs> So uh, when you guys were going from Pathfinder to Starfinder and you had the worlds that you had made for Pathfinder, how was the decision made for how to change societies and things? How, how was the decision made what to change, what to keep the same? It was pretty, it was pretty organic. Our original creative director, James Sutter, uh, wrote originally wrote the uh, the distant planets thing for, for Pact World. So he's the one who created all those planets originally. And then when we were talking about doing it, it's like, okay, well, what do we want to do differently? And we just had meetings where we just kind of threw out ideas to see what's cool if we advance this. And a good example of that is a, the planet of Aposte, um, which in Pathfinder is, an, is it's mainly been sealed. It's, it's, it's was a, an old ship that was possibly an old ship that was brought in there and inhabited by these weird aliens and everything. And we kind of had this sense that, well, we didn't quite know what to do with those aliens at the beginning. So it's like, well, what if they all died and somebody else has taken over control of that planet? And then we have like, oh, the drow are there and their arms dealers delving into that thing. And so those ideas just kind of came out and then we eventually even took those aliens. Yeah, and we have the gift of the gap too, which is the galaxy-wide event <laughs> that wiped memory for some very long period of time. And so anything that... Is we, so some things could have advanced quite a bit and some might be the same, some might have, have been different and then changed without anyone knowing because mm -hmm. they can't remember. So that, that was definitely a helpful sort of 
reset button. <laughs> and it was also looking at, at what things we wanted to keep. So Triaxis has this whole thing between the Rhyphorians and the or the dragons and the humanoids that live on there. And that was something in Pathfinder. I was like, well, that's kind of cool. I mean, this is still a science fantasy setting. We right. want dragons in dragons. space. And it's like, well, there used to be in Pathfinder people that would ride on these dragons. And it's like, well, that's not really feasible now. But what if you you and your dragon are now like co-pilots on a starship? And that created the Skyfire Legion that came out of Triaxis. Tri so that's kind of just evolving a concept that was already already there. And the dragons running mega corporations. It's pretty yeah. cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So in this culture of people who are at Gen Con, there are things that almost are unwritten rules, like what a gnome looks like, what a, a golem looks like, or um, types of dragons and things like that. And then in the real world, we have um, scientific laws. How much of that do you feel like when you break those norms, do you feel like you need to explain or just let them be different and bother the the masses. <laughs> Including uh, the question asker perhaps. <laughs> like some people really, oh, uh, very little I think. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's, it's always fun to find scientific backing for cool ideas and be inspired by those things. Like I just have a big book of nature stuff. It has mm -hmm. a better name than that. But it's just, and sometimes like honestly we give references when we're ordering art and it's like kind of make it look like this but it's a creature. Uh, and some things I've looked at and they're like, well that's too weird. No one will buy that this is a real thing. Uh, even though it is a real thing, so I oh, don't wait. send it as reference. Oh. Like, the inside of certain fruits are just like really too alien. Like you would not believe it. <laughs> uh, but so it's nice when you have like we were. Well, I guess we can't talk about that yet. <laughs> but sometimes we're like, oh, we want to do this cool thing. Does it make sense scientifically? No, it really doesn't. But it's cool enough that this will we'll pull the science fantasy lover and uh, have our cool thing in our game. Uh, and hopefully it doesn't bother people too much. <laughs> we try We try to at least make things plausible mm -hmm. or that we think would be plausible, but having the fact that it's, uh, that there is magic in the setting and that it's, you know, there's gods and demons and devils running around. I mean, there's all sorts of crazy things that, that could happen, but I find it, it works interesting from the other way too. Jason and I, were, we've been trying to create this new alien race oh, yeah. and we're trying to figure out what it looks like. And all of our references are, of course, from Earth. And it's like, well, we want these to be alien, but we don't really know. So we were kind of like piecing together with our art director. We put like, a real Frankenstein's monster. We kind of want this kind of thing and kind of putting so many to pictures. see how the art comes out. Yeah. But, you know, it's just, it's, it's interesting because I also feel sometimes constrained because our, our worldview is literally our world and we don't know what alien life actually looks like. And going back to, to planet building and world building, uh, you can go either direction. You can say, this lava planet with this unrealistic feature, like what kind of creatures would be adapted to that environment? Or I want a creature that looks like this weird thing. What kind of world does it make sense that it would live in? Either that it constructed for itself or that it evolved to be adapted to. So, yeah, I, I think we can often get away with uh, a, a sentence, you know, if we just say like, because of a, a rift to the elemental plane of fire, <laughs> yeah. da, 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 lava world, right? So yeah, uh, uh, um, being science fantasy, that you know, that's a direct quote an, from one of my <laughs> Yes, he's been reading my, my manuscripts. Um, and so, you know, it, 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 uh, hopefully that gives us a, enough leeway that people can just sort of like, oh, that's plausible, nod and, and, and enjoy whatever it is we're writing. Sorry, I just had one more question. No uh, uh, as far as like, well, I mean, I'm in a and d group, but I also am jamming Starfinder, and there's one person I'm trying to get to talk into Starfinder, but she just says, ah, it's just too sci-fi for me. I'm not sci-fi person, but I explain to her constantly that it's like, oh, it's both. I mean, how do you kind of differentiate between what to keep and what to scratch as far as like, you know, the, the balance between sci-fi and fantasy? Whatever your group wants, uh, you know, if, if your player is saying they're not into sci-fi, uh, I wouldn't try to uh, trick them or convince them into, no, you really like sci-fi, I promise, <laughs> like, um, that dragon's a robot, but you like dragons, like, I don't know, uh, it really is, it, like any role-playing game or any game, really, you just got to have buy-in from everyone and, and agree on what you think is cool, and there is a, there's a lot of crossover, I think, and, and we do try to... We're always like reminding ourselves because we get really into the sci-fi, I think, a lot, and we're like, "This is also high fantasy." And we have, of course, the four classes: spellcasting classes and stuff, and dragons, <laughs> and corporations, yeah. all that stuff to keep us. And and you know, a tripartite uh, artificial intelligence god is kind of like all those things in one too. That's true. And that yeah. kind of helps keep us 
keeping everything in the mix for, for every kind of science fiction or fantasy or both fan. Yeah, certainly for the stuff we publish, we kind of want to give the baseline. And because it is a science fantasy game, we try to put science fiction and fantasy in there, of course. And different people in their own games might highlight one, one of those over the other. Um, but we don't want to do that too much because we kind of want to give the, the sort of overall flavor of the thing. And I think that it's one thing that I tend to think of is because, because we also do Pathfinder and Pathfinder had a lot, a lot of things from Starfinder came from Pathfinder is if we've done something in Pathfinder, I don't really want to necessarily do it in Starfinder. So a lot of those things that we've done a lot of in Pathfinder have a much slower, are being brought much slower into that because it's like we have our own game and our own setting and we want to play with our own new toys. So we're, I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to encourage like, let's come up with our own fantasy elements. Obviously there's some really cool stuff from Pathfinder that we want to take and we're going to continue doing that. But it's also, it's like we want to create new stuff that is Starfinder stuff. Yeah. We did it with the troll in Alien Archive 3, uh, which we'll just talk about. Why not? It's sure. almost out. Yeah. <laughs> Come out this month? Yeah, so we wanted, we wanted to get trolls into Starfinder. And so we, there's a troll with Starfinder stats and everything, and that's cool. But then we're like, but this is Starfinder. So we also <laughs> created the Void Troll, which is when you launch a troll into space, uh, and it just keeps regenerating, like dying and regenerating, and gets this crusty uh, radioactive shell thing going on. Uh, and some people might even weaponize those things and just launch trolls at other planets. Um, <laughs> Is so. that how that started to enter ballistic troll missiles? Yep, yep. That might have been the genesis, IB. That might still be in the book. ICBT? So. <laughs> yep, yes, ICBT. That's right. <laughs> Dang, we missed should call it. It's just you didn't talk the, to me. It's just called the Void Troll. <laughs> All right, well, I think we're just about out of time, so thanks, everyone. Yes, thanks, thanks for coming out. Hey, and we're back here at Gen Con 2019, and I'm joined by Joe Pazzini. How are you doing? Doing great, Fairman. How are you doing? You've got, you got promoted. I did. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. Lead designer. Yes. Yes. Lead designer. You can lord it over all the other designers. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> I don't know if they'll take kindly to that. <laughs> so you, the, today's panel was designing planets, and mm -hmm. that's something you all do a lot over there. Yeah. Because, you know, what good is Starfinder if all we do is stay in one place and don't play with our spaceships? <laughs> just, just, yeah, floating in the, in the void mm -hmm. kind of gets boring after a while. So you yeah. want to land somewhere and, and see who's, who's hanging out. And you announced a new product to help do this. Yes. So uh, what is, is this it right here? This is not quite it. This is oh. a prototype. Let me make sure I'm not sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see too oh. closely. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it's called the Deck of Many Worlds and it's got... Um, a hundred cards that just let you create thousands upon millions upon billions actually of, of weird mm -hmm. and, and not that weird worlds. Well, usually the deck of many things mm -hmm. ruins campaigns. <laughs> Will this ruin my Starfinder campaign? If you let it, yes. If you decide you want it to, sure. But otherwise, no. Okay. Um, I, I like sandboxy kind of right. campaigns and sort of Monster of the Week, in this case, maybe Alien mm -hmm. of, uh, not, you know, Alien of the Week, but Aliens of the Week, you right. know, Planet of the Week. I, I, I grew up watching a lot of... Um, uh, next generation, right? Of and course. So just every week, you just some new planet with some weird thing going on that you're not supposed to interfere with, but you definitely do because it's more interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the only reason you ever bring up the Prime Directive is why it doesn't count now. Exactly. Gosh, I was just watching First Contact, and um, oh. they were still lecturing each other <laughs> at, at the end of the series about the Prime Directive. It's like I'm sure everyone is tired of hearing about that. But yeah. So what are your you do? You, what are your Starfinder games like? What do you like to run? I've been running the adventure paths. I really okay. and playing in them. Um, so I, we started with Dead Sons, like mm -hmm. you do. Uh, so we played the first two books of that. I ran that, and then I wanted to play the, the volume I wrote, which right. is the third volume of Dawn of Flames on Neighbors. Right. Uh, so I selfishly made one of my players run that for us. So we, we kind of <laughs> melded the stories together from uh, the volume two of Dead Sons. We just said, oh, the signal that's sending you this way. Spoilers. It's sending you actually to the sun, and you're going to go into the sun now, and so it makes perfect sense. Don't worry about it. We played how, some... how was it to play in an adventure you wrote? It was weird and gratifying and horrifying. Oh, how um, was it horrifying? That's the uh, fun part. Okay. Well, I want to talk about how it was gratifying. <laughs> okay, sure, sure. So, and that'll make the horrifying worse. Oh. Okay, so the gratifying part was seeing, well, here's the sad part. My friend was running it for us, so mm -hmm. he read the adventure. I wrote it, so I know it was in there. And then uh, two of the players are editors at Paizo, so they had also read the adventure. <laughs> so, so we all would, every time there was a decision to make as a party, we didn't want to use our, our right, of player course. information. So we would all turn to the one remaining player who didn't know anything, and she would just look like, what? I don't know what to do. Uh, but she did, and she told us that. She's like, uh, why are you all looking at me all the time? It's like, 
because uh, we don't want to tell you what's going to happen. Uh, but she, it was cool to see her kind of realize uh, some of the story hooks that I put in there, mm -hmm. kind of follow the breadcrumbs that I tried right. to lay out. And it was like, oh, great, that's great. It was uh, sad when she'd be like, oh, I bet we're going to do this really cool thing. And I'm like, ah, that no. would have been really cool. <laughs> it's like, I bet we're going to go race those enter cycles. And I was like, Dang, that would have been awesome. To put in the adventure, of course, you can do that, when, right, which right. is the beauty of the adventure passes. They can give you cool ideas right. that you just go do if you want. So uh, we, well, when will we sing you next? Oh my gosh, I don't know. Every day of my life. <laughs> yeah, you need more panels that we Yeah, there's going to be a writing for a Starfinder panel uh -huh. that's either today, like, yeah, it's later, later today. today. Yes, mm -hmm. and then I have one more tomorrow that I definitely remember and I'm just not telling you. Okay, great. Now, of course, we'll have the schedule up immediately after this conversation. You'll be able to see it all yourselves. Uh, and we're having a great time. How has Starfinder been doing at Gen Con 2019? It's been fantastic. Like, we are we are kind of barricaded behind a wall of, of Pathfinder 2nd Edition books. <laughs> but we've had people, we've had, even had people brave. When there was a line to get into the booth to get in line, right? we had people coming in just to see what was new with Starfinder. And it was Alien Archive 3 here yet. It wasn't. No. Very sad. We have one copy in a glass case for people to kind of press their face against. And, you also know. have those plush skittermanders that yes, were they, hit at Yep. Yeah. And I, I learned quickly to not say, have you seen the plush skittermanders? I say, they're not for sale yet, but have you seen the plush skittermanders? Yes, yes, because yes. the just the roller coaster of emotions was It was much. It was glorious when they brought them on uh, stream last at PazoCon and we got to hold them. Yes. They're dust they're bags. Very they're also they're, dice bags. Yes, you can put things in them. Yes. Not and Alien Archive 3, and then later this year, Calm. Yes, Character Operations Manual with three new classes. And then and eventually, the Cold Deck of Many Worlds. Yeah, Deck many of Many Worlds. Worlds. I'm very excited. Right. As soon as I get back from Gen Con, I'm going to be diving into developing it. And, of course, they're playing the special here. Now, that debuted at Origins. Mm-hmm. And how's, how are people treating the special? They're loving it. Yeah, um, Rob and Amanda uh -huh. helped run it at a smaller town in California, and they're, they checked it out, too, uh, just to see on a much bigger scale <laughs> how it's been going, and it, it's pretty fantastic. Now, what do you think about the big twist that was revealed at PazoCon and at the special that the leader of the Starfinder Society is going to be one of, one of us players? Uh, I'm gratified and horrified. Horrified, again. also. Yeah. <laughs> Just depending on where that goes. <laughs> so hopefully we'll so have you, a lot of candidates. So you think you all are insane for trying this? Uh, I think it's. I think it was, yeah, Thirsty and John, we got to watch them more closely <laughs> in the future. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for taking the time to be yeah, with us. I hope to me. see you again soon. I hope you have a great Gen Con. And we hope that you all are having a great Gen Con wherever you happen to be watching, whether it's at your house or waiting in line for your next Starfinder game. Make sure that you tune in. We will be live. And, of course, all of this, if you missed anything here, is going to be archived. You'll be able to watch it here on Twitch, on Official Paizo. I know Paizo is going to port it over to their YouTube channel. And the glorious audio will, of course, be over at No Direction's podcast channel so you can listen to every single thing that we've done. Whether you missed it or you just want to listen to it the 400th time. You know, we have some fans that have listened to more of our own network than even I've listened to. Uh, so... Uh, when we come up next, it is going to be the Secrets of the Packed Worlds panel, which is always a fun panel. The Secrets of Galarian, Secrets of Packed Worlds are some of my favorite panels to cover at these conventions. And the camera's shaking because they're getting up on stage right now. <laughs> um, and we will see you with that in just a few moments. Have fun. And that was part of No Direction's 2019 Gen Con seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. If you'd like to find more great content like this, go to NoDirectionPodcast.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon supporters for making content like this possible. If you'd like to support the network and see that future content is created, you can do so at Patreon.com slash NoDirection, or click on the Patreon link at NoDirectionPodcast.com.